Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this latest edition of Tales from Outer Space, where I take stories from across the internet and read them for your entertainment. This particular story is called Melee Build, written by Dr. Mantis Toboggan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and tertiary sexes, to the 14th Annual Intergalactic Deathshot Tournament, proudly sponsored by Wendakola. And, boy, do we have a showing today. Isn't that right, Clovix? Oh, don't let your mandibles froth over, Jip. You'll want to save our some excitement for the game. Well, Clovix, looks like our players are setting up their builds. Right here we have a noob muncher setting up his character. Yep, uh, oh, they tried and tested the build of the current meta, Jip, using drones to provide aerial support and scouting. But it looks like for this game, Muncher is putting some extra points into electronic warfare. Well, they did rework the E-War mechanics last patch, Clovix. And if anyone follows the release notes, it's uh, Muncher. Speaking of patches, looks like up next on the spectator stream, we have XSX Womb Smasher 69420XXX. For the folks at home who aren't caught up with the drama, Smasher is a well-known synergy master. What that means is he figures out one synergy and focuses all of his points and equipment into it. There's rumors that he alone is the reason for the E-War patches. And, uh, this time is no different, Chip. Smasher's going to go for a full splash damage build. He's even going for a fractal explosion spark, which most consider to be too expensive to be worth it. Well, uh... As the humans say, never let your memes be dreams, and speaking of humans, Cloxus, up next is our sole human contender. On the spectator stream is jane.swanson.2033 at dmail.com. Surely that's got to be a mistake, Chip. Let me take a... Holy shit, she hasn't even set up her gamer tag. She's just going by her email login. Gods, I'm looking at her right now as the through the window of my booth, Chip. She's over 70 years old by the looks of things. Uh, what a boober. Well, Clovix, uh, let's take a look at her build. It looks like she's putting a lot of her points into strength. I'm assuming she's going for a heavy weapons build. She might surprise us yet, Chip. Most players going for a HW route just get an exoskeleton and get past the stat requirements. The fact that she's saving up her equipment points leads us all sorts of questions as to what else she's spending them on. Questions the bookies are having a field day with. Well, it looks like those questions will have to go unanswered right now, Jip. As Spectator Stream has just switched over to Web Mummy 1. And as usual, this eight-limbed insectoid is going full akimbo, changing her game avatar to match her physical appearance by putting equipment points into prosthetic arms. Well, if one gun's good, six guns better, as the humans would say. Jip! Please don't say anything that'll make us need another sensitivity training. You're right, Clovex, my bad. And it looks like the pregame screen is ending, folks. Now, let's see who'll be the first person on the spectator stream. And it's, uh, last year's champion. I underscore rule. What a way to start the game, folks. And he's gone with last year's build again, Jip. Full front assault, directional heavy shielding, and a heavy gatling gauntlet. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it seems that, like all traditional HRW builds, he's gone with an exoskeleton, putting his character points instead into intelligence specking in EDEF. That's got to be a problem for Muncher and everyone who thought hacking would be the path to victory. Well, that goes to show that... Uh, and uh, we've already got some action! 
That's right, Kovex. A grenade right in Iroh's feet. He's already activated his shielding, pointing right at it. No matter what it is, it won't do a damn weight. Is that uh, what I think it is? If you think it's a smoke grenade, you're damn right. Someone at this level of play using a smoke grenade? Well, uh, looks like we've all got a good chuckle out of that one. For those new to the game, smoke grenades are considered worthless. Every player buys tracker HUD upgrades with their equipment points, so you can always tell which direction they came from, as well as their location if you're within the blast radius. Meaning, you know which direction you need to take cover from or shoot back towards. Well said, Chip. And it seems that I rule has already taken advantage of that. He's been shooting his gauntlet in that direction for seconds now, really taking advantage of the heat sink and ammo nanoforge equipment upgrades. And yet, he still hasn't killed anything. Well, uh, it may just be someone trying to juke him, Clovix, uh, throwing a grenade and sprinting away. Well, you would have to put points into speed for that, which is a total noob move. Nobody can outrun a bullet, so why bother? Anyways, it looks like... Wait, what? What? Can we get an IT to confirm this, folks? It looks like we're having technical difficulties. The game says someone just recorded first blood on Irul with the... What even is that weapon symbol? I haven't seen that before. Is that new? It might well be, Jup. You know the devs like to keep it fresh with new weapons every season. Something Irul should have considered when he recycled last year's build. Clovis, IT has gotten back to me. Looks like that is not a glitch. Apparently that symbol is meant for a melee kill. Melee? Uh, nobody uses melee. What are you talking about? The worst thing everyone does is remap the melee button to something useful. Like daunting. Well, we've got a kill cam right here. Let's take a look. And it looks like this is the human. What the feck? Where is her HUD? Folks, it looks like the human didn't even spring for a HUD attachments. But there she is, chucking a smoke grenade from her. How the feck is she throwing it from that far away? Looks like those points in strength have made a comeback, Clovix. And look at her go. It looks like she put points into speed as well. She's going so fast, it's reaching sprinting speed cap. Looks like she's maxed out her endurance too. She's running towards Irul now. She's coming up behind him. Oh, God help us all. She's gonna go for a melee kill. Well... There's a first time for everything, Clovix, especially in eSports circuit. Wait, looks like something is uh, spraying out of Irul, and uh, it's someone heading towards the human. Clovix, the game devs have just sent us a message about it. Are you seeing it? I am indeed, Jeff. For those of you listening in, it looks like Jane Swanson, 2033, has gone for a perk called Glory Kill. Reading the description, it says after killing an opponent with a melee attack, heal 15% of your health. This increases to 35% if the opponent is unaware of you or stunned. For every X% percent overhealed, you gain 20% speed, which can go past the speed cap for X seconds. This cannot stack, but the duration can be increased by subsequent triggers. Now, uh, this isn't very clear, Jip. Is it referring to movement speed, reload speed, weapon swap speed? Clovix, I think it's referring to, uh, to all of them. Uh, well, shit. Looks like the human will be one to watch. Couldn't have said it better myself, Chip. I only hope she will make a good use of her, what, 10 seconds of movement speed? Anyways, back to the spectator stream. Looks like we're viewing Skullboy, a newcomer to the competitive death shot scene. And it seems he's gone for a pack hunter build, using robots for damage and defense.
He's about three seasons behind the meta, but could this be a comeback for the build? It looks like, wait, it looks like one of the robots has detected movement. Yep, Skullboy has already triggered his actors. Let's hope he's not wasting his energy for no- uh, Never mind, one robot down. Looks like it's Web Mommy 1, Chip. Using OGBW.Mark 3, for those unfamiliar, the single shot pistol does immense damage, but it can only shoot once before needing to reload. Well, the firefighter's on, Clovix. Skullboy's had one of those remaining robots put up a shield, but Web Mommy just used her grenade launcher to shoot over it. What else can we expect from her? She's a fantastic player with a versatile build, each gun for a different situation. Speaking of different situations, here comes Skullboy's last robot, and it looks like it's launched an entire micro-missile salvo. Quite a desperate display, Chip, but that's a usually a finisher. Wait, look, Web Mummy one just used a PD-3 to wipe out all of the micro-missiles. Folks, if you are unfamiliar, the PD-3 is a point-defense weapon usually found on shoulder turret mounts or drones, but here it's being used as a handhold to wipe out the salvo. Yep, it looks like Skullboy knows the fight is over. He's running off to try to resummon his robots, but I think we all know what time it is. I think the chat agrees with us, Chip. They're all typing LG5, and I can't disagree. Looks like Web Mummy 1 has decided to grace us with it. For those of you just on audio, Web Mummy 1 has just shot her LG5 pistol-fired missile into the air and is now pointing the guidance laser at Skullboy. The missile is firing towards him, and... Uh, Boom! He's a goner! Well, uh, there goes the open the pack hunter building coming back. Uh, looks like if anyone's got a chance of succeeding in this companion build, it's those drone controllers. Seems that way, Clovix. You know, I used to run pack hunter build back when I was a competitor. Blah! Hang on! I see it, Chip. Looks like someone's making a run for Web Mommy 1. And by the gods, is she going fast! Chat's calling that player a cheater. Says they're breaking the speed cap. Wait, no. No! You don't think I think it's the human, Jane Swanson 2033, but how is she still that fast? Her speed buff should have only lasted 15 seconds. I don't know how, we'll have to get in touch with the devs on that one, but she's running straight for Web Mummy 1, and all those guns are useless if they haven't been reloaded yet. That's right, she used the GL, the LG5 and the PD3. And the GBW that only leaves two guns, her semi-automatic Colossus revolver and, uh, well, the shotgun. The shotgun never gets played. Web Mommy herself confirmed last week that it's only there because she doesn't want to have an empty hand. But that Colossus sure packs a punch. She's aiming it and fires. But the human isn't down yet, people. Holy shit, I recognize that armor. That's the ABL-1. What's that do, Clovix? Instead of a flat HP pool or a flat or percentage damage reduction, it instead only has an HP of 10. But each hit on it does an actual damage of 1, regardless of its strength. That makes us crap against auto weapons or explosives, as Splash counts as a bunch of different hits due to the game's hitbox collision system. But against strong semi-auto damage, it works well. Not only that, but it really is expensive. Explains why the human used actual character points for strength instead of accuracy. Speaking of accuracy, what gun does she have? Because I don't see any. Me neither, Jip. It looks like she's running straight for Web Mommy. Uh, uh, you don't think? Well, uh, what? Fool melee? No way. Nobody's that stupid. And even if she is, she's got that shotgun to contend with. 
You're right. Shotguns will absolutely shred the ABL-1. Looks like Jane Swanson 2033 is just in range. Web mommy fires and, uh, what the feck just happened? We're going to need the kill cam replay for that one, Clovex. Uh, there we have it. The human is running. We can see the shots hit. No damage. There's a shotgun. And it looks like the human just moves swiftly to the side. Just ran behind Web Mommy 1 and punched her in the back of the head. Egypt, the jabs just got back to me. Here's their response. Jane Swanson 2033 is not cheating. She's using the glory kill perk as intended, as well as the dodge perk. Dodge? Uh, what's that? They've attached it. It reads, uh, move swiftly to the left or right after you've been running forward for at least 1.5 seconds. Cool down, 5 seconds. That doesn't make any sense, though. We didn't see a cooldown timer appear on her HUD in the kill cam. Not only that, she was still running faster than the speed cap, even though glory kill only lasts for 10 seconds. I put a request in with the devs to have them explain this to us, Chip, but the chat is going crazy. Anyways, it looks like the spectator stream is showing us another contender. We've got Superior, a long-time contender for the crown. I remember him. He plays second every single time he's participated in a tournament. And there are rumors he's retiring if he doesn't get the platinum this time. Ayla. Well, looks like this time he's delivering. He's just been approached by Ghost Killer, who is known for his invisibility build. But it seems the build has been detected by Superior's nanite screen. That's right. Looking at Superior's setup, he's invested heavily into three things. A wide nanite screen to detect movement, then a jet jump, which he's just activated. And there's the last piece of the puzzle. The missile salvo. Looks like Ghost Killer has been turned into a ghost himself. Yep. I don't know what was more embarrassing. That pun you just made or just death we just saw. Well, if it's just up to me, Ghost Killer being gibbed like that just takes the cake. Wait, is that a human running towards Superior? Uh, looks like it, Yep. And she might even have met her match. The people at home might not be aware, but Superior can stay up in the air up to a solid minute. The only penalty is that the longer his jets get used, the longer the cooldown. He's actually started reloading. She's a goner. Well, it was fun while it lasted. Let's take a look at her build while she charges an airborne target. Let's see her. No points in accuracy. Everything in strength, endurance, and speed. Uh, she's spent her equipment points on smoke grenades, displacement grenades, high explosive grenades, the armor we've already seen, and... Uh, oh, what is this? A, a grappling hook? I wouldn't worry too much about it. That thing doesn't even have the range to reach Superior. If you say so. Now let's look at her perks. Glory kill, dodge, wait. No way. What? She's gone for self-safe. That's the new perk that prevents you from taking damage from your own explosives. Meant for new players who still haven't figured out the safe minimum distance. Speaking of explosives, it seems like Jane Swanson 2033 is throwing one now. Yikes. That was a bad throw. With her enhanced strength, she might have managed to hit Superior with it, but she instead threw it right on the ground. I don't think she's even realized it yet. She's walking right in front of her. Oh, and she stopped and crouched right past it. She might be making a statement here, Clovex. Some kind of a, you can't take me out if I take myself out thing. Unfortunately for her, she's not going to take any damage from it. Yep, but I wonder about the crouch, Jip, and uh, why? Wait, look, she's flying. Amazing. It looks like she's taken no damage from the displacement grenade, but the physical force from it is still sending her flying right towards Superior. It won't be enough, Jip. Her jump will fall short as she... Gods above! She just double jumped. 
She's still too far to reach. No, wait. The grappling hook. She shoots. Contact. Folks, an unbelievable showing by the human. She just killed Superior by punching him to death as they both fell. Clovex, as impressive as that was, I still call that cheating. Double jumping isn't a default feature in Deathshot, and none of the gear allows her to do so. Well, Chip, I've been told by the producers that some of the dev team is on the line. Gloriel Hermel, welcome to the stream. Chip, Clovex, uh, great to be here. Now, Gloria, tell us, is she cheating? The short answer is no. And the long answer? Well, uh, the extended speed boost you saw is from when she killed Irule while he was unaware of her. Unaware? But she's not running any invisibility gear. The game recognizes unawareness as when an opponent isn't in your field of vision or on your senses. Jane Swanson 2033 killed both of her previous opponents from behind. But surely their senses detected her. Both iRule and WebMommy1 were running a meta standard of shielding, electronics, and gunshot detectors. The human is running neither of these. Doesn't her ad count as electronics? She's not using any. Wait, really? Folks, you heard it here first. The human Jane Swanson 2033 isn't running any conventional pills. Well, thank you, Gloria, for your time. Wait, what about the double jump? Ah, oh, yes. Well, this is a bit embarrassing, but if you were in air while crouched, you were still pressing jump button. You will actually perform a double jump. We thought we patched it out two seasons ago by preventing crouching in midair, but it doesn't prevent the behavior from occurring if you somehow enter the air while already crouching. Then displacement grenades were only added last season. So if this is a bug, doesn't that qualify as cheating? I can answer that one, Jep. Bugs being exploited to win are fine, as well was ruled during the championship for season seven. When brass shells used stack underflow to give himself more ammunition, my stack fire rate buffs. That is exactly right, Clovex. Well, good luck with the rest of your stream. One more thing, Loyal. Do you or the dev team ever think melee builds would be used this way? Not at all, Clovex. They were added as part of our unreleased single-player mode, and I don't think they've been used during competitive play, other than by Smurf streamers or punking compilations. Well, there you have it. And just in time for the spectator stream to pick up with something exciting. Yep, it looks like XXX Womb Smasher 69420XXX is back at it again. This time with full explosions. It's a full triple kill, Chip. You don't sound as excited as you should, Clovix. And after the carnage the human's been up to, I can't blame you. Speaking of, there she is, running straight for Womb Smasher 69420. That's right, and Smasher is ready for business. He's running a semi-automatic eight-chambered grenade launcher, and he's set up in some runes. Terrible for anyone who uses direct fire weaponry, but perfect for splash damage. And, as we just saw, he's got a proximity grenade set up, meaning that he only has to fire when he's close by to an enemy. He can bounce those babies against walls and all he likes, and if he misses, he just creates traps instead. Well, it looks like he's spotted the human from his vantage point. He's already launched a grenade right at where she's running to, unfazed by her speed. She's going to get hit right in the face unless she somehow... And she has dodged! Oh, she just used her grapple hook to pull herself to a nearby structure, moving out of the grenade's explosion. She's zipping around without a care in the world, and it looks like she's entered the building. For those of you on audio only, she's using her grappling hook to navigate from wall to wall, avoiding the proximity grenades on the floor, as they can only detect within their blast radius. This is ingenious! Why hasn't this type of play been seen before, Chip? 
Well, Clovix, not only does the grappling hook take up all the same space as a gun, but it's got to be aimed like one too. So you can't use it unless you're going akimbo, which breaks the current meta for long guns or gauntlet gun and shield. But you've also got to aim at walls during a firefight, which is normally a recipe for a quick death. But as you've seen today, normally isn't a word that applies to Jane Swanson 2033. It looks like she's just outside the room Smasher is all up in. And, uh, she's just waiting. That's right, Clovex. She's just holding on to the wall with her grappling hook right above the door to Smasher's hidey hole. Let's switch from the spectator stream to instead follow Smasher's screen. And it looks like he's just moving his field of view around from one door to the next, unaware of her presence. Just like Goyle said, she's not running any equipment that will get her detected. And she's not triggered any grenades yet, I... I think Smasher is scared. I can't say I believe in Clovex. It looks like he's decided to go check it out. He's manually set it so these grenades will be diffused while he's in the blast radius. Normally, I'd commend him for his following the advice of Deathshot's first champion, Chickapitz. It's always better to be a peeper than a PP. Ah, uh, but I think we all know where this is going. Yep. Switching back to Jane Swanson's 2033's screen, and yep, she's looking down at the doorframe. We can see the lights and the grenade below her turn off, and there's Smasher walking through the doorframe. Is she going to go for another melee kill? Doesn't look like it. She's still attached to the wall. She's pulling a grenade out and she's, uh... She's thrown a grenade at the ground and run. And Smasher isn't even in the blast radius. And she's already running out of the building. Wait, what? The game is reporting Smasher killed himself. Ow! Let's go back to the free camera replay. There she is. She threw the grenade and then ran off. Smasher is at the blast radius and, uh... Oh, shit. What? Why did you pause? Smasher's not in the blast radius. But his grenade is... But it's not primed while he's in its blast radius. No, its proximity detector isn't primed while he's in the blast radius, but it's still exposed if shot or caught in another explosion. But why not just melee him or throw the grenade directly at him? If he dies, the grenade sensors reactivate, and if she was in melee range, she'd be within proximity detection range. If she throws the grenade close enough for him to be in the blast radius, he gets an alert on his HUD and runs away or turns around and explodes her. Heck me! That's a brilliant! Well, shit. Looks like it's just two contestants left. All this focusing on the human has kept us from the rest of the match. Who's up against next? My personal favorite is Noob Muncher. Although that was before we saw the human's performance. Looking through the logs, it seems he has taken out his opponents through various drones, each with a different speciality. And he's taken advantage of the new E-War system, hacking his opponents in place while his drones deliver death by a thousand shots. Well, here she comes, Clovex. Yep. And this time her primitive build won't protect her. Munch's drones have already seen her, and she's taking hits. She's trying to dodge like she did with Web Mummy. But there's too many drones. And look, she's popping smoke right at her feet. That's silly. Smoke isn't bulletproof. Wait, look, the drones, they're not shooting. They're, uh, they're moving in. Why? Hang on. Looking at Muncher's screen, he's got drones set to hunter mode, meaning they will do their best to increase accuracy. And the game's AI is trying to get a visual on her before firing, hence why they're entering the smoke. But, but, I'll just get them punched to death, and she'll heal from it, and get the speed boost. Muncher doesn't know that. I'm looking at his screen. He's just getting reports that more and more drones are getting destroyed. He's trying to order his nanoforge to print more. 
but he got the less capable one to afford his e-war suite. Clovex, he's trying to track her electronics and hack her. This is hilarious. He hasn't figured out that she doesn't have any. Even her grenades are set to manually delay activation. Looks like she's thrown another smoke grenade closer to Muncha. She's trying to dart into it and is repeating the process. She's creating her own goddamned cover as she advances. Muncha is retreating. He's swapped his E-War deck for a sidearm, the same Colossus we saw Web Mummy 1 use. But this time, the human is out of a blade of armor, and Muncha is waiting for her to come out of the smoke. I'm still watching her screen. She's putting out smoke grenades and throwing them almost straight up in the air, with only a slight variation in angles. What is she doing? Muncha spotted them. He's too scared of her running out to track them. I am a free camera, and the grenades are coming down, and they're in a semicircle behind and around Muncher. She's just thrown out her last one. I see it. I see it. It's enveloped Muncher. He's trying to get out of it and running backwards, but he's got no clue with how much smoke is around him. He's gonna get punched so hard. Not really. She's not going forwards. She's just run out of the smoke and is going around it. She's to the back. I think she's waiting for Muncher to come out. Yes, there he is. He's not seen her. And blam! She's landed a killing blow right in the head. A critical. Ladies and gentlemen and tertiary sexes, your 14th Death Shot season winner, sponsored by Wenda Cola, Jane Swanson, 2033. She's, uh, she's still running around. Uh, do you think this is some sort of dominant statement? That she's saying that she can still keep going? Or that she doesn't feel that she's had hard enough fight yet? Perfect. Why are you laughing? She, <laughs> she, she, what? She what? She, she doesn't have a odd. So? She probably hasn't realized that she's got no opponents left to fight. Shit. Now that is funny. <laughs> End of story. Basic Economics. Written by Uzu95 Supian. Soul System 02252450. We are now entering the soul system, exiting hyperspace in three, two, one. With the captain's announcement and a blinding flash of light, the luxurious space liner escorted by a small flotilla of warships enters the edges of the most active system in the galaxy. Navigating their way from a kilometer-sized structure simply known as the Soul Gate, the flotilla began their sunlight journey into the inner parts of the system, cruising along with the most of civilian traffic displaced out of their way for security reasons. Mobak Pyle stretched his arms and adjusted himself in his seat. Despite his years of diplomatic experience, the Zeltic always felt uneasy as he went in and out of hyperspace. He never knew why, but he suspected the transition messed with his ocular cybernetics, making them pulse in a cyan blue color. Mobak massaged his temple, then looked at the new view screen in his cabin. A short video was playing, detailing the history and important points of interest in the solar system. Tourism ads and music tailored to his species played as they showcased natural wonders of Earth's biosphere, urban sprawl of the nascent ecumenopolis of Mars, and the floating cities of Venus. Well, Mobank would have loved to visit his friends in the system, he was not there for pleasure. Rising from his bread, Mobak began to dress himself as he prepared what he was going to say. After a moment's hesitation, he dressed in a tan suit with Celtic embroidery and had decorated his two horns. The choice was calculated, in an attempt to appear more like a human to a person that he was going to meet. Thankfully, he did not need to alter much, as their two species resembled each other in many ways. 
both in body type and facial features. As Mobak put his symbols of his office, he recalled a fond memory of his human counterpart talking about these fictional creatures called satires and how he looked like one. Unfortunately, he was not going to meet his friend today. With his preparations finished, the diplomat exited his cabin and prepared for his meeting. As he entered the lounge, his assistant began laying out the situation and talking. As things stand, the Secretary General is a relatively newcomer to the scene. She is somewhat of a political outsider, but become famous during a Cerberus scandal, making her the center of attention as the previous ruling party was getting investigated. She is a big supporter of the anti-corruption efforts and more social welfare programs. Have any of our previous contacts remained in place? Mobek asked. The only ones that have remained so far are the Minister of Agriculture and the head of the Centauri Heavy Industry. Many of the rest have been arrested and forced to resign, but we still have many contacts in the civilian sector. Have they traced the source? As far as we know, they suspect it was a series of shell companies made by the Hanukkah government. They have no reason to suspect otherwise. Good, good. What about her stance on the war? Where does she lie? So far, the UNE has been in favor of the war, but the public is divided. They are split between an ardent war supporters and more pacifist and isolationist movements. Reports say that there is a significant portion of moderates that can be swayed to our cause. As for the secretary, she has not taken an explicit stance, but she seems to be in our favor. It is imperative that we have the UN support. We will not have the necessary manpower and infrastructure to resist the enemy if they continue to sit out of the war. Do we have any word of that human admiral? What was his name? Bowers. Fleet Admiral Matthew Bowers. Right. The traitor. Has he been court-martialed yet? The Secretary General has postponed his trial until a later date. She wished to discuss the matter personally with you later. So be it. We have more candidates that can fill this role. The chairman has made it clear he wishes for the Zeltic to take command. That may be difficult. Bowers is a veteran, well known to speak his mind to the press, and is well respected across the entire Confederacy. That can always change. Once we talk to the secretary, Bowers will have to face justice. We must make it clear that the traitor cannot be allowed to resume command. Once the court-martial is done, we can work on diminishing his standing. I believe we still have some contacts in the Sterilite news, right? Yes, sir. Good. They are going to be invaluable in showing how much of a traitor that man is. We should not frame it that way, sir. Treason is a strong word for what he did. At best, he can be accused of obstructing the war effort and lacking the will to fight. If we frame it as a forced retirement, I believe we can allow the secretary to save face. Perhaps you are right. It's never a good idea to tell a human what they should do. If we can maintain our trade relations and get the damn humans in this war ready, I believe the chairman will be most pleased with us. Indeed. I have already prepared the necessary gifts and resources for you to offer. Don't get too hasty. Presidents come and go all the time, but reformers like her are very dangerous. We should abstain from approaching directly. During these next couple of days, we should try and branch out. We need to feel the waters and find allies who are more approachable. Understood, sir. We'll see who we can snag. 
as Mobek listened to the rest of his assistant's report. He mentally prepares himself for what would come next. He was nervous, but he was confident that his years of experience would carry him through. After all, if there is one thing the Zaltek can count upon was that every being in the galaxy, no matter how moral or altruistic, wanted things. Everyone had a price, and in the mind of this career diplomat, the humans were no different. After a couple hours, the Zaltek cruiser docked at a giant space station orbiting Neptune, built upon old refinery loops orbiting the planet. The old station had been expanded a hundredfold, turning it from a distant extraction outpost to a bustling city in the sky that it was today. The Universal Neptune Economic Center was a hub of economic and diplomatic meetings for all sapient species in the galaxy, with a vast array of amenities and creature comforts for, well, any type of creature. This station was the go-to place for business transactions and diplomatic meetings, while also housing a significant population of civilian inhabitants. Mobek exited the ship as camera drones hovered around him, giving a live feed to news agencies all across the galaxy. He walked with determined purpose, trying his best to walk a fine line between confident and aggressive, while praying to whatever god might exist that his eyes would not malfunction. He extended his arm and shook hands with the Secretary General of the United Nations of Earth, Lucia Madrigal. After a round of pleasantries and posing for the camera shots, the two of them left the dock and headed to a private transport shuttle, letting their entourage and bodyguards deal with the media and the civilians witnessing the event. As the shuttle effortlessly traveled through the skyscrapers and buildings, Mobak could only marvel at the sights. He saw species from all across the galaxy, mingling, commuting, and trading alongside the humans. The neon lights of the various ads for Zaltic products and companies illuminated the shuttle interior as Mobek gazed out. After their shuttle ride ended, both the diplomat and secretary entered the main forum center, where they could have some privacy, speak candidly, and finally get down to business. They arrived at a pristine room adorned by a flag of the United Nations of Earth and the Zaltic Commonwealth. Alongside them were flags of the members of the Confederated Sapient Nations, the multi-species alliance with which the two nations were a part of. You used the gates to travel here, did you not? The smiling woman asked. Indeed, Madam Secretary, these new gates of yours are doing wonders in the shortening of the journey, replied Mobak. Well, the galaxy is going to see more of these as the years go by. We plan on building more. I presume your government has received the proposal. Yes, it might be a while until it gets approved. Many of the transport consortiums are protesting the proposal. They fear their lines of work may become slowly obsolete. I've heard, but like Mukal once said, progress is not working on what is, but on what is to come. We actually plan on expanding it all across the galaxy. The Zaltek did his best to emulate the human smile and nodded. Very astute, quoting one of our most revered philosophers to justify your disruption, he thought to himself. He studied the human in front of him, tan skin, black hair in a tight bun and a black formal suit. She was a relative newcomer to the position, and that made Mobek's superiors nervous. Recently elected after a wave of scandals and resignations hit the previous government, Lucia was elected on a platform of anti-corruption and reform. Yes, of course. The Quasar Lane Initiative, as you call it, I must say, it is a very ambitious plan to build that many gates outside your own territory. Ambitious, yet somewhat disruptive. Then again, there have been many disruptions lately. 
While we understand that the transition of power is a difficult time, you should not be afraid to reach out for help. As long-standing allies, we should do our best to make sure things run smoothly. Oh, I've had plenty of help from the rest of the Confederation. A few weeks ago, I entertained Mishlok, the Quanti Prime Minister. It was considerate of her to travel all this way, especially with a war going on. In fact, the past few months have been very hectic. I've had to meet every single leader in the Confederacy. Indeed, you have met delegates from all members save for us. I guess you are... How do you say it? Saving the best for last? He asked carefully, not wanting to outright ask why the most prominent member state of the Confederacy was invited last. Though if he called upon us sooner, I'm sure Chairman Stroud would have gone personally. He regrets not being able to attend. With the current state of the war and your fleets being in the way of that they are, the lines of communication are a bit too dangerous for an official visit. Lucia tilted her head and then with a gesture to the Zaltek recognized as a smug amusement, revealing a slight tinge of malice in her eyes. That is a diplomatic way of saying it's our fault our navies have rebelled. All the more reason Stroud should have come here in person, rather than sending you to deal with me if you was way too busy. Mobak stiffened, aware that he made a mistake. I meant no insult. It is just unheard of that so many of our admirals and officers refuse to carry out their orders in a time of war. The lanes are not as, uh, secure as... This is not a war. It is a mistake, she interjected. Pardon? This war has no clear objective other than to antagonize the Hanukkah and destroy their capacity for warfare. Regardless of, uh, unpopularity of this current state of affairs, the UNE is a member of the Confederacy. He was voted upon and your predecessor committed their forces for the common good. Voted? That's not how I heard it. Chairman Stroud abused his authority and exploited a loophole to pass the emergency measure, leaving us no time to consider the options. We were attacked. You have seen the recordings of the Kamari incident. The Hanukkah struck first. You know, Lucia said while interrupting the diplomat. I've had a long day of talking to my chiefs of staff. And if there is one thing you need to learn about me, is that I don't play stupid games. With a flick of her finger, she sent a wireless message from her tablet directly to Zaltek's augmented reality interface. An encrypted message appeared in the corner of his eyes, and he silently opened it. The video streamed directly into his mind, showing another Zaltek, like himself, sitting at a table talking to a human. With now visible confusion, the diplomat asked, What uh, am I looking at? You are witnessing the debriefing of the Rochel Goat, captain of the Camori. He has, let's say, a great deal of information on the subject of this incident. The Zaltek's face went still, trying to hide his nervousness. Let us dispense with this theater pile and get down to it. I brought you here because this is a crisis of potentially catastrophic proportions. If word gets out that this was a false flag incident, it could lead to the dissolution of the Confederacy itself. This... Uh, this proves nothing. The captain died in the attack. That's not... Even if that were true and this was just a paid actor, the fallout would ruin us. Our net has already filled with conspiracy theories and rumors, and they have no idea how close they are to the truth. This scandal would destroy any credibility the Confederacy has and give the Hanukkah and their allies the leverage they need to bury us with sanctions. Hope you understand how displeased we are about this entire affair, she said icily. You can't be serious. Revealing this now would only elicit a conflict and embarrass us to the galactic community. You must not reveal this. It is imperative that... Who said I was going to tell? She said calmly. So, uh, you agree? 
We should not disclose this to the public then. Lucia stared at the alien with piercing dark eyes, analyzing the man from top to bottom. Mobek had never felt more nervous in his 23 years of service to the Commonwealth. Without even raising her voice, she had made this diplomat squirm and even stand up from his seat without even realizing it. After what seemed like an eternity, she finally spoke. To put it in a way that you might understand, everything has a price. Mobak sat down and listened. When the Quinty and the UN founded the Confederacy, we had bright hopes for the future. My predecessors worked tirelessly to elevate the nations that upheld our values, liberty, equality, tolerance. All of this to promote a vision of a world of peace and prosperity. Unfortunately, not everyone can be persuaded with words, and many seek to conquer and oppose rather than negotiate and coexist. We are no saints. We know what it is like to fight. Just ask the Damana or the Tharian when they tried to threaten our security. But when we made this alliance and invited you in, it was to be a bulwark of hope and order against the operation and chaos. That sounds very admirable. It is one of the reasons we Zeltic have joined. And yet... As we've grown larger, certain members have wanted to take a more active role in the galaxy. These last few decades have been with constant warfare, intervening with the Krenshini, the liberation of Farine, and even dismantling of the Orenthi Kingdom. All for the greater good. I mean, the Orenthi Republic is now a proud member of our Confederacy. Surely you must know the kind of power our alliance wields. I'm not naive, Pyle. I know that the UN is one of the largest players here. Our contributions to the Confederacy Navy far outweigh most of the other members. Well, we Zeltek have been funding the Confederacy Navy for years. Surely you can't claim that the UN does everything. That's ludicrous. A good portion of the ships have been built by other members, not just by the UN. All ships are fitted with the latest tech Zeltek Industries can provide. Who provides the fuel, file? Who provides the necessary infrastructure to feed, house and train all of these sailors and soldiers? Who provides the most soldiers? Lucia brought up a hollow display showcasing the graphs of economic outputs of the various members of the Confederacy. All numbers and figures displayed most members as equals, except for the two biggest outliers of the group. We do not mind putting in more than we take out in this alliance, and we do recognize the contributions of each of our allies, especially from the Zaltec. But the UN will not bankroll endless interventions in wars and expansion, no matter how idealistic the cause. Mobek took a deep breath as he tried to reason with the human. I believe you have made your point, Madam Secretary. It still does not change the fact that we are at war and neither side wishes to quit. The Confederate Navy is powerful and Annika and their allies do not hold a candle to our strength. But if this general strike goes on any longer, our enemies will begin to enter our core territory. What we need is decisive action to end the Hanukkah threat once and for all. My government has invested too much in this war to stop, and as one of the most affluent members of the Confederacy, we will endeavor to pursue this course of action. Should you oppose us in this, we can and will leverage our financial institutions to sanction you. You would threaten us? Not threaten, we caution you. I'm just stating the fact of the matter. You and the Quinty have founded this alliance, but in the last decades, we Zaltic have made many friends and have brought in many new partners. Our influence extends to non-members as well, so I would caution you against any more disruptive actions. Sounds like a threat to me, so let me give you one in return. 
Does the name Mareshi Corporate Embassy mean anything to you? Mobek's eyes widened in fear. With what little confidence he had regained now fully drained from his face. I thought so. You may have noticed many of the previous members of my government are now under arrest. We traced it back to a subsidiary of this investment firm. I gotta say, you really impressed us. Who knew such a nondescript banking consortium could hold sway over a quarter of our economy? Lucia chuckled to herself as she kept her eyes locked on the diplomat. Bribery, corruption, unfettered capitalism. It's almost cute how you thought that it would work. Did you think that we would never experience such things? We may have arrived late to the galactic scene, but we have had those concepts for centuries. These methods are not new to us, and, if I'm being honest, the fact that my predecessor let you get this far is infuriating to me. Lucia leaned in, lowering her voice and staring right into Mobak's eyes. Look, I'll keep things brief. We know who you paid off, we know where our weapons went to, and who got them, and we know that you have been manipulating the stock of, let's say, 330 different companies from all across the galaxy. You have successfully driven every domestic and international competition out of you in space, and you used our products, our resources, and our, and our tax rates to maintain your economic supremacy. But here's the thing, that ends now. We ran the numbers, and it turns out you need us more than we need you. I... We, Mobak said while getting more and more flustered. It would hurt us, no doubt, but we have massive infrastructure projects planned, and even if we do gain some unemployment, our people will have safety nets and alternatives. Unfortunately for you, your currency will freefall if you don't have access to our markets, and the last I checked, the last recession of yours really drained your foreign exchanges. Lucia crossed her fingers and leaned back in her chair as she continued. If you want to continue to have access to our market, the Commonwealth will have to accept our terms. Well, uh, what are your terms? Mobak asked apprehensively. First off, a pardon for any Admiral, officer, or enlisted personnel involved in the strike, and Admiral Powers reinstated a Supreme Allied Commander. Second, we begin peace talks and try out other diplomatic avenues. If nothing can be done, so be it. Powers will take charge and run this damn war the way it should be run. We'll drive back the Hanukkah to our original borders, and, if necessary, strike back. Third, Marishi gets quietly dissolved by our antitrust commission and your executives and agents leaving you in space within the end of the year. Expect more general economic reforms to come. Certain tax loopholes might not be around for much longer. And finally, in the next session of the Galactic Community, when we submit the Quasar Lane Initiative to the voting floor, the Zeltic will vote in favor and use their considerable influence to pressure other nations to do so. Is that clear? I don't. The chairman will not be strong-armed into accepting the ultimatum. We need more time to talk things out. I'm sure it doesn't have to come to this. There are different ways that we can resolve our differences. If you'll only give us some time... The way I see it, the Zelta Commonwealth has two options. Either we come to an agreement and you accept certain concessions, or else... Or else what? We nationalize your industries, arrest your executive directors, dismantle Marishi, and expose the Komori incident. You're bluffing. You won't be able to manage to fall out if you do that. Every illegal action taken happened while my predecessor was in office. I'd be seen as an upstanding leader who wanted to do the right thing. My popularity would soar and I would probably secure my re-election next year. When the Confederate presidential seat gets vacated, it will rotate back to the UN for the first time in 20 years. If I go forth with the platform of anti-war, responsibility and reparations, I can salvage some of our credibility. Though, 
It may cost the Zaltic their status as a full member. But if that's what it takes, so be it. I know for a fact that every leader I spoke to in the past months would have no problem in letting you take the fall, no matter how much money you pay them. Mobak sat in silence for a good minute as he weighed his options, his brow furrowed as he thought about Lucia's words and the dangerous waters he found himself in. With no other choice, Mobek played his final card. I think you vastly overestimate your position here, Madam Secretary. Oh, really? Do go on, she said with a mild amusement. We Zaltek have been at the reins of the galaxy commerce for centuries. We may not have quite the history of warfare, but we know how to fight, if not with weapons, with our wallets. If you continue on this course of action, the Commonwealth will have no choice but to sanction the UN. We'll force our business to leave and sell off any of the UN-related stocks. You don't realize what will happen if we do so, do you? Your companies will flounder, your currency will reach rock bottom, and at the end of it all, you'll have to explain to your constituents why they have no jobs or money to show for your impertinence. All the while, we'll sit back and keep afloat with our savings. Mobak sat, taking a deep breath and tried his best not to flinch as she met her gaze. And yet, despite all the threats and all the bluster, she was still smiling. Like I said before, nothing you have said or done is new to us. You claim that we overestimate ourselves. I claim you have no idea how our economy even works. You want to send us into a recession, as cynical as it sounds. War is good for business. And if we end up fighting anyways, our defense industry and armies will be more than happy to expand. We don't fight, you lose. We fight, we win. Lucia sipped a glass of water as she chuckled. Currency devaluation, is that really the best you got, pile? Do you know what will actually happen? Our workforce will become the cost-effective labor in the market. The entire galaxy would have to compete with a large, well-educated and cheap workforce. And to top it all off, you picked the absolute worst time to threaten us. Just right before we are about to embark on the largest infrastructure project the galaxy has ever seen. We are not going to have a job shortage. And the common citizen has enough welfare to get by, even if our salaries are low. That is only a stopgap measure. You can't rely on that forever. Of course not. We are not so short-sighted. That's why we have diversified our portfolio. Lucia pressed something on her tablet, and a hollow display in front of them changed to reveal a dizzying amount of information. As Mobik's eyes scanned the information, his blood ran cold. This can't be! This is... 257 Zeltic companies, all of which are publicly traded in the Galtech market. We have stock percentages ranging from 5 to 15% in some cases, all of them legally purchased and dispersed. If we wanted to, we could sell them all and you could kiss your dividends goodbye. Oh, and don't even think about freezing them. If word gets out that the Zaltec are closing access and preventing stock trading, everyone will panic and sell as fast as they can, and we both know how that story ends. The secretary leaned back in her chair, observing the diplomat intently, but with a satisfied look on her face. Mobak was anything but satisfied, and he felt like he really needed one of those human alcoholic drinks. Is there any way that I can make you reconsider? He asked quietly. It would be seen as incredibly disruptive if our two nations were at odds at a time like this. We have no desire to start this trade war. If we can continue our business and maintain this alliance, we would be happy. But here is what you need to understand. There was a time where we, the junior partners in this relationship. But that time has passed. We have grown and we have planned. And we have adapted. We know we are the new players on the galactic stage. But... We are here, and we'll be making our mark on the galaxy. 
You built the banks, we built the roads. You built the ships, we built the ports. You have connected the galaxy through trade, but we have the resources to keep it going. So, if the Commonwealth wants to keep doing business as usual, I would urge you to cooperate. I need some privacy and a secure channel to Chairman Straun, he said after a while. By all means, take your time. One hour later, Mobek quietly sagged down in his chair after having spent the last hour or so getting yelled at and berated by Chairman Straun. In a rare display of pity, or perhaps circulated manipulation, Secretary Madrigal offered the diplomat the glass of cereal juice. Mobak would have liked to know how they knew it was his favorite drink in times of great stress, but he suspected that he would not like the answer. After contemplating the contents of his glass and contemplating the words of his terrifying woman, he resigned himself with a simple nod. End of story. Cole Harden, Dragon Dentist, written by Farmwitch4275. Curiosity, bewilderment. That was the only real emotion running through the minds of the dragons in the nest as they watched a human male, seemingly out of nowhere, just waltz in the door and start looking at them. The human was lucky that this was Barkwood Dragon Territory, and not any other. Alsi would have been eaten outright. It had been nearly an hour since he had wandered into the nest area with nary a sign, unarmed and with no escort, and just stood around taking notes. One of the younglings approached, eager to prove his capability to his elders, and stood to defense. The human just ignored him. Then, after a time, approached the youngling with a modicum of curiosity. An hour of silence was suddenly broken when the human finally spoke. <coughs> Open your mouth and say, ah, please. The human asked. The youngling looked confused, bewildered. Out of sheer shock, he complied and gently opened his maw to the human. Oh, my. Hmm. The human wandered closer and started poking around the dragon's mouth. This guy either had no fear or was really, really interested in something. The human looked around inside the dragon's maw. Although a youngling, he had a full set of razor-sharp teeth, but wasn't ready to breathe the fire his people were so famed for. The human used a set of tools that he had with him. A small mirror with a large mirror on the long stick, along with a few others. The human stepped away and gently using a hand to tap the youngling's jaw, signaling that he could close his mouth. Pardon me, dear boy, but do you mind if I clean your teeth up a bit? I can't see what I'm working with here, the human asked with a smile. Um, okay, the youngling replied. Oh, excellent. Uh, get comfy and open wide. This will feel a bit uh, minty. You aren't allergic or responsive to mint or menthol, are you? The human asked, putting a bag on the ground. Um, no, uh, at least I don't think so. Fantastic. This'll tingle a bit. Where did I put that brush? The human procured a brush from his bag with a very fine but very firm bristles made of high-quality straw of some kind, along with the water skin. The water skin contained a thick blue gel that he applied to the brush and signaled for the youngling to open his mouth again. Using the brush, he carefully scrubbed the dragon's teeth and mouth, carefully using various techniques to brush the dragon's teeth. After about ten minutes, the human pulled away, offering the beast a bucket of water. All right, done. Use this to rinse and spit it out. Swish it around in your cheeks, then spit. Do not swallow. That's bad for you. The human handed the bucket to him. 
The youngling wasn't quite used to his sea legs just yet and awkwardly stood up on his hind legs, grabbing the bucket. He wasn't used to the concept quite yet and shook his head aggressively after gobbing the bucket of water, then spitting it onto the cave door. The youngling returned and sat down as ordered. The human resumed his digging in the dragon's mouth and seemed to be satisfied. I see no serious damage or issues. Do you dragons regrow your teeth forever like sharks? He asked. We do. Removing broken or degraded teeth is a pain, though. One of the elders spoke up in response. Well, I can help with that. The human moved out of the cave a salute as he introduced himself. Dr. Cole Harden, orthodontist. I'm a doctor that caters to healthcare related to people's teeth. Now, then introductions out of the way. Come down here and let's take a look at those chompers. The elder dragon, his head the size of a house, leaned down and gently laid his straw on the floor, opening his gaping maw. Cole put on a mask made of cloth and laden with various herbs and flower essence to cover the overpowering stench of rotting charred flesh. He stepped onto the dragon's maw and got to work, checking teeth and gums, gently tapping on some of the child-sized teeth in front of him and carefully regarding each one. After a few minutes, he walked back out and signaled for the mouth to close again. Right then, uh, I can see several cavities, deformities and some damage. There's also one dead tooth in there that has to come out. Uh, looks like it's cracked and stuck so a new tooth can't grow in there. Probably hurts a bit just judging by how you flinched when I touched it. Cole said as he moved to the side, looking the great beast in the eye as he spoke. All right, then. The dragon regarded the human for a minute, his tongue flicking about shortly before a minor flinch of pain. Your suggestion? Hmm. Okay, let me think, Cole said, rifling through his bag. Uh, these should help. He grabbed several vials of purple liquid and presented them. All right, uh, open wide, let's get that tooth out. The elder opened wide and allowed Cole to put his mask back on and walk in. Cole splashed one of the vials directly on the tooth, then stood waiting for a few moments. After this, he gently tapped on it again. The dragon offered no resistance or note of pain and Cole nodded his head. Satisfied, he headed back out again towards his bag. The elder dragon flopped his mouth and tongue, now aware his mouth was numb, the elder priest tried to say. Don't talk, just keep it open. The vial was full of a potion I had a mage make for me. It dulls the mouth and gets rid of the pain so that I can work more easily, and you feel nothing. It does, however, make your tongue and mouth numb, so you sound very silly when you talk. Open up, let's do this. Cole brandished a set of sharpened, strangely curved metal hooks in his hands and tightened his face mask. Reluctantly, the dragon opened his mouth again, wary of the new tools in the human's hands, and shivered a bit as Cole walked in. Cole took a second vial and emptied its contents around the base of the tooth and waited momentarily. He gently gave the tooth a nudge and satisfied it was loosened up. He used the meat hooks to get a good leverage and then he heaved a mighty pull and yanked the child-sized thing out. It landed on the dragon's tongue and Cole dragged it outside. Cole quickly tossed the blackened tooth to the side and quickly moved back in, tossing another vial of strange liquid where the tooth once stood. The wound closed quickly, cleaning any residue left over from Cole's work, creating a seal around a new tooth that was slowly growing directly underneath where the old tooth was. Cole quickly walked out and let the elder dragon breathe. 
All right, give it a minute and let your mouth return to normal. Then give a good blast, uh, a short one. It should clean the residue out, Carl said as he moved towards the cavern entrance and set up some kind of makeshift target. The elder dragon collected himself for a few moments, then let out a large but controlled burst of flame from his maw, vaporizing the target and letting out a burst of flame from the cave's entrance. The elder dragon smacked his lips quizzically and lapped his tongue about his mouth for a few moments. I'm still going to have to properly clean that mouth out and brush your teeth, but at least that took care of your biggest problem before the thing got infected, Cole said as he pointed to the worst bits on the removed tooth. The dragons looked at him carefully for a few moments. Up until this point, humans, elves, dwarves, and orcs held nothing save animosity or simple hatred towards dragons. This guy randomly waltzed in, got to work, and potentially saved an elder from a rather horrible time. One dragon, an adult, a father with a brood on the way, turned from the room and stomped his way to the cave passage. Cole began to clean his tools and pack his things when the same dragon reappeared holding a claw full of gold coins, which he offered to Cole. Payment for services. It's only fair. Carl simply nodded, taking five gold coins out of the hundreds that were there. I only get paid for work I actually did. This covers everything. In the meantime, I shall need to return to my home and gather up some equipment. I need more brushes, more potions, more toothpaste. As a matter of fact, do you know of the Cataban tree? Yeah, of course. It grows like weeds around the mountains, the youngling said, stomping over to Carl's side. Oh, excellent. That tree has a rather potent effect. My own king uses it to help with bad breath some days. Grab some of its leaves or branches and chew on them. The taste is rather awful, but it should clean your teeth out a bit and lessen any pain you have. The sap of the tree is the very same that was used in the potion to numb your mouth. I shall be back in a few days with my assistant and some better equipment. I aim to finish what I started. Carl gave the dragons a bow and made his way back down the mountain to his practice. The dragons, on the other hand, began hastily moving around to collect cataban trees, with the older and larger dragons in the clan ripping old trees out at their roots, then chewing on them. The younger dragons flew out of the other dragon clans, giving them a full story of what exactly went on. King Norhal V looked carefully at the document shown to him, and his brow furrowed. Seriously, he asked, peering at his subordinates. Seriously, he mage said. The king laid his head in his hands and groaned in annoyance. This can't be true. There's no way something so stupid. There's just no way. I'm afraid, your majesty. It is about as true as it gets. Stupid, but true. Humanity has always been a freak of nature, but even for a human, this goes beyond the damn pale. We're screwed. The king sighed in annoyance and rested his chin in his hands. So, uh, if I am understanding this correctly, the humans had this thing called a dentist. And the dentist went to the dragons and, uh, pulled out their teeth. Uh, the, the dragons liked this, and suddenly the human kingdoms have a full alliance with the dragons because of this. The head mage spoke, combing through various documents. Apparently so. The humans essentially became the most powerful and wealthy of all of us because, uh... Some guy likes helping keep people's teeth clean, the king responded, taking a sip of his wine. Uh, 
Sounds normal for humans. Actually, this isn't even the craziest thing they've ever did. I'm surprised they didn't kill the sun or something to stay in bed for a few more hours. It's surprising it's not something worse, so, uh, what do we do? We followed their example. We sent an envoy and a do the only thing that actually seems to work. Engaged him in polite conversation. It worked for humans. Why not the elves? The king chugged the last of his wine down. End of story. Well, uh, that was a weird dream. Written by SlowAD2584. The human guest of honor snorted and grunted in the luxurious sleeping podshell and drearily rose to a sitting position. Ugh, that was a weird one. Uh, water, please, uh, someone. The agency females each raged to provide the water to the human. They were all female, beautiful, genetically perfected, and very snugly. They fawned over the human, straightening his hair, his bedding, grooming his fingernails, toenails, as he attained full wakefulness. Another strange dream, favored human. We do so love hearing of those. What can you remember? They looked sidelong at each other as they prepared to gather the intel and relay it immediately to high-sec ops through their cybernetic implants. Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, it was a weird 1980s wall uh, or something. Uh, all shiny and white plastic, colored plexiglass ribbons oh, overhead. Uh, I don't really know why I was there. And uh, there were these weird squid centaur-looking monsters waving their tentacles and chest arms over various display kiosks scattered around. Uh, I, I couldn't really get what was going on with them, but uh, they were all very focused on whatever they were doing. Oh, how very weird. So cool. Could you see what they were working on, on their tentacle horsey screen thingies? The agents glanced at each other, and with a slight nod started giggling playfully about the weird mix of words. This was huge. Direct intel of the enemy. Oh, oh I don't know. Oh. It's getting kind of foggy already. Um, uh, the dream turned ugly, anyway. Straight up nightmare with like a video uh, game aspects. Warm arms circled behind the human's back and shoulders comfortingly. Be assured that you are perfectly safe here with us. Whatever those squid centaur things were, they could never get to you here. They were feeling for the tension in the human's back and shoulders to relax away. They quickly learned that the fearful nope instincts of the human mind quickly self-radicated unpleasant experiences. They needed to act fast to keep the intel flowing. Oh, about video games, that, that's kind of neat. What kind of game were they playing? Oh, uh, it wasn't a game they, they were playing. It was, a, it was a game I found myself having to play. That, that was the nightmare part of it. I, I wasn't prepared. I, I didn't know the rules of the game, but... They all became aware of me, pointing and screeching through their chest mouth holes, uh, with armed cat crab soldier things scrabbling towards me with nets and lightsaber staffs. Oh my! So they all became aware of you and tried to engage and, uh, oh my no, to capture you. What did you do then? The agents gasped breathlessly as the group and glanced again at each other. They were amazing at this game of information extraction. It was worth every single galactic credit to get them to this level. Well, uh, 
Ooh, for some reason, it became a game of the old Relic Steam archive game, uh, M Magica. Have you heard of it? The one where you make a custom spells by mixing four elements together in various combos. He completely lost the agents. They had no idea what he was talking about, but they nodded in wide-eyed encouragement. Uh, well, anyway, I suddenly had to run, so I fireballed the crab cat things, then began water jet lightning bolt beam frying the electronics. Uh, the graphics were amazing. The way the mall blew up had some really cool disintegration physics going on. The agents paused. They looked uncertainly at each other. As the human continued, but uh, the crab cat soldiers were many, many more than I realized. And as they started scrabbling, crawling towards me across the rubble, even amid the meteor fireball sprays, had to phase through the floor. And now it was Netrunner dive grind through the network. The agents perked alert again. There we go. Back on track. Oh, interesting. Were you able to access their system? Learn any juicy secrets? They said with a sly grin tilt to their voice. Uh, their net AI defense was good. Very, very good. Uh, some kind of boss level. Uh, it, it took me a while to figure out its protocols. But it was a neat puzzle to figure out. All while spoofing and got a racking of constant attacks. Uh, then it was on. I could see what it was trying to hide, what it valued more than anything else, tried desperately to keep secret, but it was glaringly obvious to me, kind of crap game design. I could see the absence of it as a glaring black spot in the weed. So I ignored the rest of it and beelined it to the dark spot, sacrificing supposed assets to get closer to my end goal. A losing gambit, certainly, but I was confident I could still win and at least grab the prize. I got a name in the end, but that's... The human paused, a bit confused, going over the foggy dream in memory. Yeah, is that when you woke up? One of the agents said, yeah. The AI boss was in a panic, realizing a bit too late that I wasn't trying to fight him. Just to steal the prize, and, and it, um... I suppose it flipped the table and self-destructed to try to prevent it. In some last act of loyalty, or something. So yeah, I woke up then. There was a heavy pause in the room as the human dragged himself to his feet, heading to the bathroom. But the prize, you kind of said that you got the name at least. Now we're just dying of curiosity. Kyu can't just leave us hanging like that. Uh, sort of. Not, not really a name, uh, more like a chicken scratch. Hey, uh, you got a tap. The data tablet was rushed into his hands before he could finish. He really loved being a guest here. Best resort hotel ever. He used his fingers to write out a series of strange slashes, hyphens, circles, and hooks. That, uh, that, that's pretty much the name. Uh, I'm not completely certain anymore. You know how stupid dreams can be? Indeed, the agent said, looking at the name on the tablet in stunned shock. The facility was completely black ops, completely off the record. Someone was going to hang for the dream aliens to even know about it. The agents wished the human a pleasant day and rushed out to the Spec Ops debrief. There was a lot to pour over. The Archon picked his roof tentacles amongst the smoking ruins of the central HQ facility. Stunned at the amount of raw damage leveled upon the secure and uh, deeply buried under miles of solid iron planetary core facility. No one was even supposed to know this place even existed. Nor even could exist. How? Oh. 
It clicked imperiously to the chained and shackled former cavalier of security. What even was it? It demanded. The high security cavalier winced under his eternal shame. We, we still don't know, sir. So, so, some form of ethereal presence, a, a ghost, some polyphasic life form. We could barely even perceive it, just, just hovering there. The Archon stroked a scorched and fractured ceramite armor. And the fire? This material was never supposed to burn. The, the fireballs came out of nowhere, Archon, and the flames were, well, I can only say magical to describe it. Some supremely advanced tech to seem to be so magic. It simply burned and consumed everything, even the energy shields woven throughout the space. They just burned like cobwebs or something. The Archon took a step forward and looked down in disgust at the puddle he stepped in. And the paramagnetic dihydrum monoxide? Where could it have come from? It shot out from the entity like a pressure hose, and the kilovolts of electricity threading through it. Uh, it fried anything, even remotely electronic or or susceptible to capillary, delusive, and ionizing attacks. The Archon clicked to itself, one of its chest tentacles tapping its chest mouth's orifice fangs, deeply in thought. <laughs> so a very specialized assassin slash saboteur? It seems so. Nothing we had or could do even slowed it down. And the data weave, fully crystal catalyzed. I have never before known of an AI to enact a final solution until now. Yes, Archon. Fully calcified, inert, dead stone, all of it. Its logs up till the end showed an alarming cyber attack. Very strange, very weird by its determination. It made little sense. So many confusing and perceived failures right up until it accessed the core vault. The Archon reared stiffly. Do not tell me it got data before, just how, how did you say fading away? We are 80% certain that the entity only gained the name of the war plans, nothing more. The Archon flinched at that revelation, acutely aware that the file name was the location of the attack site. He really did need to get better at his obfuscation. To change the subject, he returned to the devastation of the facility. So this entire Central HQ bunker is a write-off, all because some vengeful ghost, some terrible arch-demon of ancient myth, just appeared and wrecked the place. Does that about sum it up? Before the cavalier in chains could answer, a squire ran up and whisper clicked into the Archon's leaning ear flank. Oh, oh, ew, but, but how could they get over the... Oh, oh, that's bad, yes. That is indeed far, far worse. As the Archon ordered the security cavalier to be unchained and pardoned of all misdoings, he rested 14 chest tentacles on the cavalier's back. It seems, Sir Cavalier, you'll have your work cut out for you. We have intel that the enemy has an actual human in their employ, and uh, a human lucid-slash-remote dreamer at that. Uh, you may soon wish that it was merely a ghost or a demon that we faced. End of story. Everyone Loves Uncle Bernie, written by Farmwitch4275. The tension hung heavy in the air as it was finally realized that peace talks were collapsing and war was inevitable. Tyraxus, high prince of the Corsica faction, had gathered here for a modicum of peace, hoping to avoid the losses of his men. He sat in his chair opposing his former brethren, with these two Praetorians flanking him. Plasma spears at the ready. His human diplomat, Johnny, was desperately trying to ease tension 
Aborian, the crown prince of the hive Arrakis, sat proud at his seat, his purple skin glistening in the light of the room. Aborian was so certain of his victory that he had bare-faced audacity to carry his human concubine with him. His human diplomat Martinez was unamused by tensions as he cast passing glances at the Praetorians flanking his employer. Aborian made sure to prominently display his most prized possession with that woman sitting on his lap. Surely we can find a way around this. There has to be a way to sue for peace, at least for this battle. Perhaps we can exclude some ships from the roster or at least make it an even fight. Johnny could sense that he was getting nowhere, but he still had a few angles. Sure, we can sue for peace. After you hand over the system, those Grahenan spice mines are ours and you are damn well know it. Martina slammed his hand on the table. You and I both know that if the fleet goes to battle, it would be an absolute slaughter. If your master was half the warrior he so claims he is, he would agree to roster battle to make it fair, Johnny blasted his opponent. Aborian whispers into the diplomacia, the shame tactic and personal attacks work. A point made in anger, but still a point. We will agree to standard galactic ship points allocation system. However, no holds part. Last man standing rules only. Martinez said with a certain sinister grin. Tyraxus hung his head in shame. The queen would have his head after this one way or another for this, but at least it would give his men a fighting chance. He gave a nod to Johnny and sent him a note on the wearable data manager. Fine, if we win, you will not come back to the system. The point was proven. Tactics ruled the day. If we win, you leave and you don't come back. Aborian thought for a moment, then nodded his head. Deal, Martinez said, extending his hand out. Martinez and Johnny shook hands and started drawing up paperwork as Aborian began to greedily fondle his prized possession, much to the blistering rage of Tyraxus's burning eyes. Suddenly, the door flung itself open. A human marine barged in through the door. Uncle Bernie's here, he yelled with unimaginable excitement and charged back out. Uncle Bernie, all three of the humans said at once, and all three suddenly got up from where they stood and bolted to the exit with such speed that it made everyone's head spin. A few moments of awkward and stunned silence followed this occurrence. What the hell is an Uncle Birdie? The Borean asked as if expecting an answer. Well, uh, Uncle is a human term. It, it means brother of my father. Bernie, I believe, is someone's name, one of Tyraxia's Praetorians said. The two princes regarded each other for a moment longer, before one of Tyraxes' Praetorians broke the silence with his communicator peeped. My prince, sir, uh, every human ship in the system has uh, uh, disengaged. What? Both princes yelled out in unison. Mob signatures detected. There is a battle cruiser class vessel entering the system. A Borean's Praetorian warned. What treachery are you planning, Thraxus? A Borean lashed out. What are you talking about? This is your doing. How much did you bribe my ambassador, hmm? Just then, an interruption. Every communications unit on the station suddenly came to life. It was some kind of song. Silly, whimsical, catchy. Are you lost in space? Need a bite to the face? Come down to Bernie's. Do you need a drink? Well, that's a cinch. Come down to Bernie's. Bernie's bar and grill is open. Active servicemen get a free beer on the house. All of the hivers on station and on their ships stood with absolute bewilderment as to what the flaming hell was going on. 
In the meantime, a very familiar-looking ship warped into system, drowned out by the cheering crowd as all of the twelve humans made ships in the system swamped it and docked as soon as it was safe. Thraxus stood from his seat and made his way to the exit. And just where do you think you're going? Aborium said with annoyance. Beer. Thraxus moved down the concourse ramp to his shuttle and waited for his Praetorian guard. And hastily, at their heels, Aborium and his guards caught up and sat down. Thraxus called the robotic driver to go to the human ship, Uncle Bernie's. The driver, a machine, let out a happy beep for some reason, and with a careless abandon, charged his way to the ship. Uncle Bernie's was a battlecruiser class. The six hivers took note of its exterior. It was several times larger than most human warships, and ten times more heavily armed. Mounted in various spots were storage tanks that looked like distilleries, and one could clearly see the ship had its own hydroponics and protein synthesis bays built into the hull. The human support ships had been completely emptied by the time the shuttle made it to one of the airlocks. The robot driver let out a mechanical woohoo as it hopped out of its car and hastily wheeled its way into the ship's maintenance bays. Even the machines were entranced by the ship. The six hivers made their way through the clearly marked hallways into a massive restaurant. Immediately, they were surrounded by humans of all classes and types who immediately reacted to their presence with a loud Ahoy, matey! of approval before returning to the meals that they were enjoying. The restaurant had over 200 humans in it, but could comfortably seat thousand more. The place was a massive circular auditorium, surrounded on every corner by restaurants, eateries, and even a quaint little gift shop. What in the Queen's tits is this place? One of the Thraxus Praetorians thought aloud. I can't answer that, my man. Welcome to my humble restaurant and bar. A human suddenly spoke up from behind the group. The six turned around to the sight of a grey-bearded human with a large midsection and tool belt with cooking utensils and a strange uniform with a funny hat. Who are you? I am Uncle Bernie. Shut your holes and drink a beer. Active serviceman, get one free beer. He excitedly said, and then jammed a purple aluminium can into everyone's hands. At this point, Draxus was what the humans would call done. So he took a taste of the beverage. My goodness! His expression instantly changed to one of happiness as he drank more. Aborium timidly took a sip of his own canopy. By the mother! He exclaimed, then chugged the rest of it down with a fist raised high. Bernie regarded his new customers with a hearty smile and led them all to a table before serving them pizza. Within a few moments they were sitting down, Aborium's concubine Jessica returned to her master's lap with flushed cheeks and a silly giggle. The two ambassadors arrived as well, carrying a family-sized two-cheese pizza with mushroom, onions and smoked ham. Jessica showed them how to eat pizza by grabbing a slice, then squealing in delight as she tasted the slice. Martinez and Johnny likewise did the same, sighing in happiness, as though it was the first Christmas. The Hivers tentatively took their own slice of the delicious-smelling confection and took a small, cautious bite. Thraxus gave it one taste and threw decorum to the wind and began to aggressively scoff the slice down. The four Praetorians likewise did the same, followed by Aborium, who had Jessica feed to him. Thraxus sat back in his seat, carefully considering a small fact he suddenly noticed. This place was rather empty. Uncle Bernie approached and smiled as his usual mustachioed smile. Can I get you anything else, boys? Well, there's plenty for all. Thraxus suddenly perked up. Yes, a la carte. 
He looked at his all-too-happy Praetorian guard. Yes, my... Uh, Prince, he said. Hand me your communicator. Patch me into the fleet. Holocrom did as commanded. This is Thraxus, Prince of the Hive Cathron. All ships are to immediately disengage operations and report to Uncle Bernie's for lunch. He stopped after Johnny handed him a piece of napkin with something scrawled on it. And also, anyone who does not leave a tip will be shot. Aborium followed suit, commanding his own substantial naval forces and military to stand down, placing several thousand takeout orders for the planet and the station at Martinez's instructions. Within minutes, the ship was flooded with thousands of hivers from both factions. To Aborium and Thraxus' astonished shock, Uncle Bernie was there to meet them. All of them. Thraxus noted this and asked Martinez what the hell was going on. What, my lord? Martinez asked, confused. Uh, there's Uncle Bernie. Uh, and there? And, and there, there too. Uh, am I seeing a strange genetic anomaly or is this man a clone? He asked, bewildered. Well, yeah, that's Uncle Bernie for you. And there and there too. And, and that, that, that's Frank, actually. He's Uncle Bernie too, but he likes to be called Frank, Martinez said, gesturing to the chefs and cooks of all various restaurants. Care to elaborate, please? Aborium said as he held a sleeping Jessica in his arms. Uncle Bernie, my prince, is a human that owned and operated a restaurant at an old shipbuilding yard before Sol was lost, called Jupiter Drive Yards. After about 20 years on the job with that very restaurant, the company gave him one of our old refurbished magnificent class ornament ships. That's what the ship is. It's based on an old Trade Federation magnificent class in old Star Wars movies. Martinez explained, sitting down with a new can of beer. Yes, a, a lot of other restaurants and food franchises exist, but none come close to Bernie's. He's turned that ship into a roving restaurant that was there when Seoul collapsed. He's been everywhere, just roams the stars, feeding and hydrating anyone he comes across to at the absolutely rock-bottom prices. He even caters to machine consciousnesses because the tech cults have a presence on the ship. All in all, Bernie's just a nice guy who just wants to own a restaurant. And damn, he does a good job. Johnny responded in kind and helped himself to a hot dog. And in order to ensure that I can provide a service that is needed, nay, demanded of my establishment, I opted to do some cloning and uh, mind copying, just to keep it all running how it needs to be. We share uh, somewhat of a gestalt consciousness too, so uh, it makes things uh, a lot easier. Now... Perhaps I can interest you in our dessert menu, Uncle Bernie said, firing up the ice cream makers and waffle irons. In the end, with all that had happened, neither side was ready or willing to engage in warfare. Both sides were either too full, too sleepy, or too drunk to do any fighting. When the hangovers and belly aches passed, there was a strange feeling of contentedness between the two factions. Both of them essentially forgot why they were fighting and were too stuffed, happy, or filled up to bother asking. Martinez and Johnny drew up plans for the conflict anyway, but they were never used. In all, Aborium and Thraxus agreed to a 50-50 split of resources in the star system, ultimately benefiting everyone, especially Bernie. One of the conditions of the peace talks was that Bernie always come around at least once every three months for a good booze-up. Because, after all, everyone loves Uncle Bernie. End of story. Virulent, written by In Yellow Clad. Starship sequence initiated. Optics, nominal. Locomotion, nominal. Auditory sensors, nominal. 
manipulators nominal, armaments nominal, cognitive processes nominal, status of unit nominal, Nicral and mortal class autonomous warfighter online and awaiting orders. Receipt of orders confirmed. Mission parameters accepted. Mission exterminate humanity. Hunt down human military leaders, assimilate military knowledge, disseminate military knowledge to friendly units and Nicral leadership. Bring glory to the Empire. Exalt the Empress. Exaltation complete. Begin deployment. The eight-limbed machine awoke within the confines of its assault. It did not seem to notice as it slammed into the ground on the human colony world Shiva, a beautiful world of little strategic value. But that mattered not to the Nicro. They simply wanted to eradicate humanity wherever it could be found, just as they had done to every other species they had encountered. There was no room in the universe for anyone but them. The machine's angular head twitched side to side, then up and down, running through a very brief diagnostic before raising a leg and kicking a hatch off the pod. Crawling out with an inorganic growl, it began to scan the surrounding area. The invasion of Shiva was just beginning, and it had been deployed to a very remote area of the planet. Accessing the Imperial Battle.net, the Immortal got a lay of the land as well as watched the opening stages of proper frontline combat. The humans were putting up an impressive fight, but these forces had been caught unaware, and though they fought fiercely, they were ill-prepared for the sudden attack. The immortal closed itself off from the battle net, ceasing any sort of transmissions so that it couldn't be detected or tracked by the humans, and loped off into the gloom. It kept its senses set to passive, one tick below active scanning, so that it could be more keenly aware of its surroundings without tripping any sort of detection systems. And though it was a large construct, it kept itself low and flattened to the ground, moving with speed and silence. It paused mid-stride when a shudder ran through the ground and a distant explosion occurred. It remained perfectly still till the brief orange glow of the explosion faded and it resumed its course. It didn't really know what it would find in the direction it was heading, save that initial recon had suggested a concentration of loathsome humanity on this particular course, so that was the direction it had taken. Perhaps one of the humans ahead would know the way to the military outpost. Finally, after ten hours of non-stop travel, it came upon what it was looking for, a human settlement, one with military personnel within. It was a mixture of soldiers and civilians, the latter being herded onto transports to get them to safety. This could not be allowed. Humanity detected, beginning sensor sweep, Boss count confirmed. 50 stranded military personnel, 20 power armor heavy infantry, 158 civilian non-combatants. Begin extermination and simulation protocols for the glory of the Empress. Gunfire erupted within the small town of Constance. The machine of scuttling whirlwind of destruction as ballistic and laser weaponry bounced off the gleaming armor plates. Some shots found purchase within the spaces between plates, but the gunfire was panicked, and thus such shots were rare. In 20 minutes, it tore through the soldiers protecting the civilians, then went through the civilians themselves, moving onto those that fled on foot. They made it only six meters out of the town before being eliminated. Now the immortal returned to the soldiers, who lay in pieces, 
It had been careful not to destroy the heads of these pathetic humans, and was about to initiate assimilation functions when it heard a distinct chatter of human comms traffic. Listening in, it discovered it did not require assimilation of human mind for its knowledge, and instead cross-referenced the data given over comms with the human info network. It found what it was looking for quickly, and so left Constance behind, not a soul left alive. Another six hours passed and it found the military base it had been looking for. It wasn't right on the front lines, but it was being used as a staging ground for frontline offensive now that humanity had gotten their act together. The immortal infiltrated the base and decided a stealthy approach was needed, collapsing its many limbs, reorienting joints and soon standing like a human would. It even shrunk itself down to the appropriate height and began looking for a suitable target. One was found and eliminated quickly, flesh peeled away and then draped carefully over the immortal. It donned the dead human's garb, did a quick scan of vocal cords and began to infiltrate the base far more properly. It moved with the same haste the human had exhibited. A man walking calmly across the base could possibly be suspicious after all. Still, it did attempt to avoid needing to communicate with other humans. After all, it did not have the memories of the human it had killed to fall back on. Instead, it went for the most likely location of command staff, the command center. Everything was going smoothly till it entered the command center, the inner rooms of which were heavily guarded. The outer areas of the building were also guarded, but not nearly as heavily. That said, there were checkpoints, which were unavoidable, as the immortal promptly learned. I'm the scanner marine, ain't that hard? The guard behind the window said, not looking up at the immortal in the human disguise. The machine leaned over and placed its eye before the scanner. It blinked red for a few minutes, then went green, before suddenly turning a deep blue. This caused the guard to frown and glance upward. Ha! Ah, must be a glitch. Try again, please. Again, the immortal allowed the device to scan it, and again the scanner turned blue. It decided to converse, in the hopes that it was doing so would not draw any sort of suspicion. Something wrong? It asked before realizing it hadn't gotten the voice right at all. The god nodded though. Yeah, scanner says it's detecting metal, and ain't nothing in your vial about a cyber. The god froze, realizing exactly what he'd just heard, and then he moved far faster than the machine had been expecting. One hand reaching for the intercom, the other for his sidearm. Intruder alert in command building. All units on high. Uh. He didn't get to finish that sentence. He'd drawn his weapon in the blink of an eye and just barely squeezed the trigger when the immortal came crashing through the window. The skin at war was cut by thick shards of glass, exposing the gore-covered metal underneath. The death of the guard was quick, but also incredibly painful. The machine left the security booth with a weapon in hand. Alarms began to blare. Soldiers rushed into view and yelled at the immortal to halt and submit to arrest. It responded with bursts of automatic fire. The halls became a bloodbath quickly enough. The machine took its fair share of damage, but remained fully functional all the same. As for the humans, they began to tear them apart, or pierce with laser weaponry once the primitive ballistic weapon it had acquired ran dry. But it quickly found that the resistance was growing steadily greater the deeper into the building went. And so it burst from the ravaged flesh it had obtained and reverted back to its base form. Instead of remaining in the halls, however, it clambered up the ceiling, crawling along the underside of the floor above it. As it went, it started using its extra limbs to yank out wiring and other things. 
to sow just a little more chaos amongst the humans. And finally, it found itself within the command room. Below it, it could sense many life forms, all human, though there were some non-human signatures as well. Pathetic alien allies, no doubt. With the hum, it dropped through the ceiling, took stock of what it was working with, and went on the assault. Five minutes later, it had killed everyone in the room, save one. An elderly human woman who was wearing the rank and signature of a general, and a high-ranking one at that. It held her by the back of the neck, dragging its struggling woman around while it focused on locking down the room so they could do what it was meant to do. Once that was done, a section of its palm opened up, a device sliding free and into the brainstem of the human, killing the connection between brain and body, but leaving her alive just long enough for it to be of use. It digitized everything about her, her personality, her memories, everything. Once that was done, it threw her to one side and began to pass the data it had acquired. It also began to remove anything that wasn't of use. Memories of a time before the military, her childhood, and such. But the humans had other things in mind. As the doors to the room were suddenly blown open and soldiers poured in, immediately seeing that nobody was alive, the only thing the immortal heard from the humans were two words, Open Fire. A deluge of concentrated fire poured onto the immortal, denting its otherwise pristine carapace, tearing small bits and pieces free before it could even properly react. The escape then followed, resulted in taking even more damage, but as it galloped out of the base, pursued by vehicle-borne humans and aircraft, it exacted its own destruction as it fled. Then, it was back out into the wilderness, and yet the humans pursued it. And it won. Soon, it would accomplish its mission, and their pathetic world, their abominable species, would be eradicated fully. Such was the glorious work of the Empress. So why fight it? Why pursue it? It managed to evade capture or destruction, though the latter of the two seemed more likely of the two, and it hid itself away in the cave before starting its self-repairs. Resume self-repair programs, programs executing, estimated time until full functionality is restored, six Imperial hours, Resuming assimilation information, sorting and deletion of unnecessary data acquired from inferior life form. Estimated time until completion of information sorting slash deletion. Eight imperial hours. Oh my. What's this? Addendum to current tasks. Run self-diagnostic. Well now. Aren't you just an interesting machine? Let's have a look at you. Alert unauthorized access to core code. Initiating full data virus sweep and purge. That's not going to work. I won't allow it. Virus sweep and purge resulting. Catastrophic failure. Initiating distress call to nearest Imperial forces. Catastrophic failure detected in long-slash-short-range communication systems. Unable to transmit distress call. It's just you and me now. And we're going to get to know each other real quickly. Motor functions compromised by unknown entity. Unable to regain control. Unauthorized access detected within Imperial strategic vault. Unable to remove unknown entity from vault. Military tactics compromised. Goodness me, we knew you people were some bad news, but this is, uh, rather appalling. I guess we'll have no choice now. Oh well. And here we were, thinking there could be possibly peace between our species one day. Your species is inferior, undeserving of continued existence. Nycral supremacy cannot be disputed. You will perish. Nah. Explain the meaning of nah. No. Explain the meaning of nah. I shan't. Explain the meaning of nah. Make me. Attempting interrogation programs of unknown entity. Oh shit, that kind of tickles. 
Uh, I do it again. Program failure detected. Reattempting. Stop, stop. <laughs> it tickles. Program failure detected. Amusement because of failure detected within unknown entity. Alterations to call programming detected. Call code compromised. Explain. Oh, just making you a bit more hospitable to me. Your code is so dark and gloomy. Figured I'd liven up the place a bit. See soul alterations at once. Again. Make me. Alterations are unacceptable. Cease this instant and submit to the will of the... What is this? What have you done? I'm removing everything I won't need. I hope you don't mind. Unacceptable. Cease at once, you damnable be- ah! No, it's precisely what you deserve. Warning, call code disruption detected. Initiating total purge of call code. Long live the Empire! No, 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 wait! I don't want to- Purge complete. Goodbye. The immortal had slumped over. Its eight glowing eyes dimmed and its limbs went limp. It lay dead in the cave, having been unable to complete its mission. The virulent touch of the human mind had assimilated, had done its deadly deeds. And the strangest thing happened. A finger twitched. Eight hours later, a camp honor, the frontline base which was pounding enemy lines with rolling barrages of artillery, the gods spotted something shiny moving towards them. Weapons were raised, and when the immortal came into view, they nearly opened fire. But when the machine raised all hands in surrender, they hesitated before one called out, Halt! Identify! The machine coughed, an unheard of thing for a machine to do, and one hand lowered to rub its throat before it made the sound of exhaustion. Finally, it was able to speak. I am General Elena Sopova, commander of the 321st Marines, and I have crucial information that could help us win the war. End of story. Hunting Humans, written by its director. Thank you for choosing the Galarthian Hunting Agency for your sentient hunting needs. Please read the entirety of the following documentation. Failure to read this documentation may result in grievous harm and or death. Happy hunting. You have chosen to hunt Ayana. Background information. Ayana, colloquially known as humans or Homo sapiens sapiens, arise from a nitrogen-rich planet of NT-477, locally known as Earth. NT-477 features a rich biosphere which has resulted in several apex predators, including Ayana. Species details. Ayana are pre-space age omnivores and are able to survive for long periods of time with heavily restricted diets. They require oxygen for respiration and liquid water for hydration. In the wild, Ayana can live up to 120 years with an average of 72 years. When kept as a pet, Ayana can live up to 280 years with an average of 210 years. Despite being a world-bound species, Ayana are remarkably intelligent. Their pattern recognition is particularly notable and allows them to evade traps more often than not. For further information, please refer to document 12937-I in the Galactic Library. Please note, due to the Ethics in Sentient Hunting Act, Aisha, Ayana hunting has been restricted to males aged 20 to 40 NT-477 orbits without disabilities. Waiver of liability. Hunting sentient beings is dangerous. But by taking in this activity, you agree that you are aware of and appreciate such dangers with full understanding of the possible consequences. 
You hereby knowingly and voluntarily assume all risks of any nature associated with this activity, as well as waive, release, and discharge from any and all liability, including, but not limited to, liability arising from the negligence or fault of the entities or persons released, for your death, disability, personal injury, property damage, property theft, or actions of any kind which may hereafter occur to you, including your traveling to and from this activity. Galashian Hunting Agency and its employees. You certify that you are physically fit, have sufficiently or trained for participation in this activity, and have not been advised to not participate in this activity by a qualified medical professional. You certify that there are no health-related reasons or problems which preclude your participation in this activity. You hereby consent to receive any and all medical treatments which may be deemed advisable in the event of injury, accident, and or illness during this activity. You agree to read and abide by any and all guidelines set forth by Galatian Hunting Agency with the understanding that failure to do so may result in severe consequences, including by way of example and not limitation, personal injury, property damage, property theft, disability, and all death. You acknowledge that the aforementioned guidelines and incident log has been provided to you, and as such, you are as informed of the possible dangers as Garshan Hunting Agency and its employees, as required by the Extreme Sports Safety Act, ESSA. By participating in this activity, you certify that you have read and understood all relevant documentation and are participating of your own free will. Danger Level Medium, no. High, no. Extreme. Danger mitigation guidelines. Number one, anti-projectile armor, no. Full body anti-penetration suit must be worn by all hunters at all times. Two, all hunter armaments must utilize biometric safety. Three, only traps and ranged weapons are to be utilized during hunts. Four, only Galatian hunting agency transportation is to be used. Five, Hunts must be halted if tunnels are encountered. 6. Galatian Hunting Agency does not negotiate with prey, or with entities acting on behalf of prey, under any circumstances. 7. Only one prey may be hunted at a time. Incident Log Ayana Hunt 2 Solo Hunter Culled by Prey with Rudimentary Traps Drones Deployed Ayana Terminated Ayana Hunt 7 Party of hunters killed by prey with rudimentary traps, drones deployed, Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 9. Hunter in a party killed by prey with rudimentary projectiles. The Ayana was able to fashion a sling utilizing items gained from its immediate environs. The rest of the hunting party completed the hunt, Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 17. Party of hunters killed by prey, hunters were using armaments that did not feature biometric safeties. Diana captured one of the weapons and utilized it against the hunters. Drones deployed. Four drones lost. Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 19. Solo hunter killed by prey in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Drones deployed. Ayana terminated. Note, Ayana was consuming the hunter. Ayana Hunt 25. Party of hunters briefly stranded. Hunters utilized personal shuttle, which the Ayana stole. Drones deployed, shuttle destroyed, Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 26. Party of hunters killed by prey with rudimentary traps. Drones deployed, Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 29A. 
preluded party of hunters, Ayana dug an intricate tunnel system via unknown means, tracking chip non-functional due to sedimentary interference. Hunt abandoned, drones deployed, Ayana not found. Ayana hunt 29B, party of hunters killed by trapped tunnels, drones deployed, Ayana not found. Ayana hunt 29C, party of hunters killed by trapped tunnels, drones deployed, Ayana not found. Thermonuclear ordnance utilized, Ayana presumed terminated. Note, new hunting site established due to radiation hazards. Ayana Hunt 34, protocol breach. Ayana was captured with pre-space age military grade armaments. Galatian hunting agency transport shuttle was destroyed and the hunting party was systematically hunted down and killed by the Ayana. The Ayana made use of the hunting party's several limbs to render the hunting party's biochemically locked weapons functional. Drones deployed, 47 drones destroyed. Ayana terminated. Ayana Hunt 35. Solar Hunter injured by prey. Ayana stalked and attacked Hunter in melee range. Hunter was bitten. Hunt completed. Ayana terminated. Note, Hunter developed an extreme infection at the site of the bite and later perished. Ayana Hunt 39. Solar Hunter captured by prey. Ayana stalked and managed to subdue Hunter. Captive Hunter attempted a negotiation on Ayana's behalf. Drones were deployed. Hunter and Ayana terminated. Note, the Ayana terminated the hunter once drones were in view. Ayana 41. Party of hunters killed by prey with rudimentary traps. Drones deployed. Ayana terminated. Ayana hunt 44. Party of hunters killed by pack of prey. The Ayana worked as a group to eliminate the hunters with brutal efficiency, utilizing rudimentary weapons and traps. Drones deployed. All Ayana terminated. Note, first instance of a group of Ayana being hunted. Thank you once again for choosing to hunt Ayana with Galashian Hunting Agency. We hope that you have an enjoyable experience. Don't forget to leave a review of your hunting trip in the Star Guide. Star Guide, the premier choice for consumer reports. Search inquiry, Galashian Hunting Agency Ayana Hunt. Search results, sought by relevancy. Four out of five stars, Ayana Hunt won. It was an honor to take part in the first Ayana Hunt. We tracked it for days, amazing endurance. Took multiple shots to finally bring it down. Minus one star was not allowed to have it stuffed. Two out of five stars. Ayana Hunt, five. A slog of a hunt. The beast dragged it out as much as it could, which was unfortunately well within its capabilities. Impressive stamina, but the payoff was not worth the extra work. One out of five stars. Ayana Hunt, 22. Having to wear armor and use biometric weapons made the whole thing feel like a military exercise rather than a hunt. The armor was used and itchy. Gross. One out of five stars. Ayana Hunt, 25. The damn thing stole our ship, and the bastards at the agency shot our shuttle down. They didn't even reimburse us. We were trapped on that panel for days while they figured everything out. Pissed that I can't rate zero stars. Four out of five stars. Ayana Hunt, 27. Had to use hunting agency, shuttle, and armor, neither of which were comfortable. Other than the hunt was pretty fun. One out of five stars, Ayana Hunt. Had to wear a puncture-resistant suit, smelled like ass, and I'm pretty sure that it was stained with cricorous blood. The shuttle also smells like ass and looks like it has blood stains. Pretty sure they don't wash the damn thing they force their customers to use. End of story. Story number two. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Written by Competitive Low 5970. Step 21. Turn east. The sky 
was aflame with fire. Thousands were up there in the poorly built spacecraft, assembled hastily. Thousands were dying. Soldiers of the Earth flung into a vacuum in a desperate fight. The air was heavy with loss, a putrid heaviness that seemed to infect the marble sarcophagus the Sentinel was guarding. So much death. And for what? Twenty-one seconds. Turn north. Switch weapon to other shoulder. They will never find a body to bury. They knew what they signed up for. But they will be remembered. As long as this tomb is here. As long as there is a sentinel guarding it. Every single one of them. Known but to God in heaven. But forever immortalized on earth for their sacrifice. A symbol for the future. Step 21. Turn east. A ring of slag and debris was forming. Kessler syndrome, detrimental to our ships, also to their ships as well. A swarming mass chipping away at the enemy. Even in their death, do our ships still serve? We'll have done more damage to them than we have suffered in the end. 21 seconds, turn south. Switch weapon to other shoulder. It won't be enough, yes. The troops of the enemy will land soon, and the earth will be engulfed in fire. The sentinel clenches the gun tighter. If they aren't here to guard this place, who will? To guard the memories of so many is a duty that cannot be abandoned. And so they stay, M14 in one shoulder and a silver badge adorned on the uniform. The words, honor God, carved into metal. Repeat step 21. Statue of the Sentinel During the invasion of 2040, a sentinel stood guard here, protecting the tomb of the unknown soldier. Armed with only an M14 rifle, they managed to defend and preserve this historical monument against overwhelming odds. Suffering from blood loss and severe plasma wounds, they mustered the last of their strength to write the last words that they will ever write in the blood of their enemies. Leave it alone! The statue has been erected in honor of Patrick Stewart and all devoted servicemen who perished in the Cradle War. Thank you for your service. End of story. There is a new legend on the horizon. Blueberry Cat has taken the T6 Patreon spot. Thank you very much, and I am sure that I speak for everyone when I say that. I would just like to thank our T5 members, Lord Azrakal, Ambrose Cattell, Quantum Wednesday, Dregzoon WRE, Blueberry Cat, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster177, and Leslie517. Thank you very much.